Hi, this is Thomas Rayner from Washington, D.C. You're listening to 1590 WCGO, Chicago's Smart Talk. The Mike Novak Show starts in three, two, one. That concludes the runway portion of our competition. Obviously, I can't just pick a gardener based on how they look uh, with their shirts off. I could, but we still have some time to fill. So I am going to ask them some questions. Come on back out here, men. All right. Hi. All right. Uh, Tegan, my first question to you is uh, uh, <laughs> explain the process of photosynthesis. Photosynthesis. I'm, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Can you spell gardener? Gardener. G A R D. Almost there. You are. Yeah. <laughs> and thank you for the opportunity. Wait, what was it again? G A R D uh, E N I R. E R. Uh, uh, no. One of those was right. Okay. okay. <laughs> It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome at 877-711-5611. Good planets are hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. True currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine will good planets are hard to find. Good planets. This week's show is brought to you by Happy Leaf LED Grow Lights, USA made with a five-year warranty. Jumpstart your plants with better light. And by Sitka Salmon Shares, bringing responsible and sustainable wild Alaskan seafood direct to your door. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. That's only for you folks watching on Facebook Live. Hey, welcome and good morning and hi. Hello. Uh, how are you? How y'all doing? Hey there. And uh, she said, that lady announcer at the top of it said, uh, intelligent stuff. Whoop, that's me. Sorry. Turn it off my computer, which I had. I can see myself live on the computer. I can see myself live on the big screen here. And I can see you live in person. Yeah, uh, in person. Who cares about that? It's all about the uh, electronics nowadays ah. anyway. Uh, and it's all about the science. with science. And we're going to have that today. In mm-hmm. fact, we're going to have a woman who's going to blind us with science about bats. Oh, bats are so That's cool. That's going to be fun. Learning to love bats. That's that's what I wrote on the blog. That's the headline. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks don't like bats. They're scared of them. We're going to bust all those myths, and we're going to do it with science. Dr. Joy O'Keefe will be on the phone from Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. Puerto Vallarta. Yes, that one. That's what I meant. Puerto, you know, everybody I know has been to Puerto Vallarta except me, uh, and uh, so it's it's. Uh, I was giving it the the American pronunciation. Ah. Puerto Vallarta. 
Well, she's been down at a big bat conference, scientific conference, so we're, we're catching her. I know. That's the cool part. She's in her hotel room. She's Skyping us. She's talking bats. They're talking. Mm-hmm. There's 300 of those folks down there in, uh, in Mexico at a conference for bats, of all things. You got to love that. And the timing is, is exquisite. And it's exquisitely bad, too, as I wrote on the blog, because this whole thing about Halloween. And I'm going to ask her. I have to ask her about this whole connection with bats and Halloween and that sort of thing cannot be good for scientists and who are trying to get the truth out about our mammals and and mm-hmm. po- their pollinators, their their amazing creatures. Uh, so, uh, Dr. Joy O'Keefe. Oh, and by the way, she's from Indiana State University, and she will be here with us shortly. Uh, and we really appreciate that. Then Kim Hankins from McHenry County College, the Big Green Expo next week. Peggy and I are going to be there next Saturday. Next Saturday. Um, I got something going the day before I'm going to tell you about, but I'm not going to tell you on the air in case something weird happens, <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you on the Uh-oh. air what, what's going on, but there's Randall's, something. I'm doing something. Randall's scrunching his brow over I'm doing something the, the day room. before. Let me say it's exploratory in nature, um, and um, I'm not the one doing the exploring, okay? so You're not going to, a, never mind. All right, never mind. Never mind. I'm not going to Puerto Vallarta. Uh, I am... Uh, yeah, all right. You're going well, somewhere. I'm going somewhere else. Uh, but uh, we will be at uh, the McHenry County College Green Expo, all kinds of stuff going on, including fish. It's a big deal this this year at the conference, is fish. So uh, among other things, among mm-hmm. all the other things, you know, uh, clean fuels and, and the... Uh, Living Lightly Tent and holiday gifts and... Honeybees, they're going to be talking bees, they're going to be talking local food, so there's all sorts of things we're going through with Kim. You mean honeybees, not honey badgers. Honey badger don't care. Honey badger don't give a shit. Okay, not, not that. Honey badger's not going to be there, Okay, no. honey <laughs> What a shame. <laughs> I want honey badger to be there. He don't care. Uh, that's true. Uh, and then uh, second hour, oh my goodness, I'm, we got a great show here. This is so cool. Uh, we have Madison Hopkins who's from the Better Government Association, and she wrote this amazing article about three weeks ago. Well, it came out about three weeks ago, and it has turned the recycling conversation on its head in Chicago. Um, And we're going to talk to her uh, about that. Um, She points out some things that, to some of us, were kind of clear, but the rest of the world needs to know. Well, first of all, recycling in Chicago doesn't work. We're the worst in the nation. Yay! Yay us! Um... and she talks about why, and she's going to be here in studio to talk about that. All of that on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, so stick around. The 11th Annual Green Living Expo returns to McHenry County College on Saturday, November 3rd, and we hope you'll join us there. New this year is the Clean Transportation Exhibit featuring electric cars and bikes. The College Solar and Super Mileage Team race cars are back, and this year they're bringing a hybrid engine truck. The expo also features a 2,500-gallon fish tank where you can see many species of Fox River fish. Visit with area farms, CSAs, and other organizations to learn about local agriculture. And, of course, there's 100 green exhibits, local food purveyors, sustainable artists, and vendors of all kinds. There'll even be on-site battery recycling. Did I mention that the Green Living Expo is free and open to the public? Mike and I will be there, and you should join us. McHenry County College, Saturday, November 3rd from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Go to mchenry.edu slash greenexpo or contact the MCC Office of Sustainability at 815-479-7765.
from boat to doorstep. You can have the best in premium and sustainable Alaskan seafood right here in the Midwest. Sitka Salmon Shares is an Alaskan community-supported fishery, or CSF, comprised of small boat family fishermen from southeast Alaska. They're supported by 4,000 CSF members, and you can be one, too. Sign up at SitkaSalmonShares.com to receive fresh Alaska salmon, whitefish, and more in shares ranging from three to nine months. Use promo code MikeNovak18 for $25 off. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. Let's face it, sometimes we overdo physical activity. That's when to give Dr. Bonnie Flaster a call. Dr. Flaster is a chiropractor who treats back and neck pain, but addresses foot, knee, shoulder, and wrist pain too, all with gentle, non-force adjustments. And she'll talk to you about your problems and work with you to devise the best treatment strategy. Find health tips at rivernorthwellness.com. Call Dr. Bonnie Flaster at 312-642-7545 and get back to feeling good. Tune in to Chicago History and Automotive Heaven, Sundays at 12 noon with Richie Z, right here on WCGO AM 1590. Wait, wait, that's not the one I want. No, 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 no. See, I meant... The wrong laboratory. This was the one I wanted. Can I have an extra piece of candy for my stupid brother? He couldn't come with us because he's sitting in a pumpkin patch, waiting for the great pumpkin. It's so embarrassing to have to ask for something extra for that blockhead Linus. I got five pieces of candy. I got a chocolate bar. I got a quarter. I got a rock. Uh, it's going to be in uh, Randall's head now for the rest of the week, isn't it? That's exactly why I played it. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And, uh, yes, I got a rock as well. Uh, everybody gets a rock on this program. Uh, we're very pleased to have on the phone with us from Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, Joy O'Keefe, Dr. Joy O'Keefe, Associate Professor in the Department of Biology and the uh, Director for the Center for Bat Research, Outreach, and Conservation at Indiana State University. Welcome, Joy. Thank you for being with us. Hola. Thank you for having me on the show. <laughs> uh, you were telling us, uh, we, uh, those of you listening live on Facebook heard uh, some of this, that there are two things going on about your location. You're at a conference uh, of you know, 300 of your closest biology friends there in Mexico. Uh, one, you had to dodge a hurricane first, didn't you? Yes, definitely. Hurricane Willow is coming in and Tropical Storm Vicente. Wow. Wow. It just never stops, does it? Uh, <laughs> and of course, that one of them has already gone across the continent is creating a nor'easter on the uh, opposite side of uh, of uh, the North American continent. Uh, mm -hmm. but, but the other thing you mentioned is bats and you're at a conference for bats and you said that the area has lots of bats. Tell us about that. Yes, so there's a, a tremendous diversity of bats here in Mexico, and they have uh, some bats that live in the tile roofs of a lot of the hotels around here. 
And at night, you can actually watch them emerge and fly around in flocks. So kind of like we see starlings flying mm-hmm. around in flocks uh-huh. in the United States. Um, it's pretty impressive. We don't see anything like that in the United States. And then there are other bats. They have fruit bats here that eat the fruit from the trees. We don't have those in the United States, mm-hmm. or at least not in Illinois and Indiana. And uh, the, those fruit bats uh, are rather large, and they leave rather large droppings around the pool here. <laughs> Yikes. Now, for folks uh, listening to us, uh, whether it is via Facebook or on uh, WCGO 1590, um, they hear some squeaking in the background. That Those are not bats, are they? Right. Those are birds. Uh, birds actually often are calling within the range of our hearing, whereas bats, for the most part, are using sounds that are above the range of human hearing, you know, about echolocation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even when they're squeaking in the roosts uh, during the daytime, we hear them sometimes. But usually it's difficult to hear bats compared to birds. And there are plenty of birds here. Well, I think all of us or many of us have uh, a story. Usually it's a story or two stories about bats, not you. You have lots of stories of bats, about <laughs> bats, I'm sure. Uh, I have a couple of bat stories, but the first one I want to tell you about uh, relates to what you were just saying about how bats uh, don't tend to fly in flocks. And if you do have mm-hmm. a flock of bats, is there a particular word that's used for a flock of bats? Yes, we call that a swarm. A swarm. Uh, yes, well, if they're flying uh, during the... Where we do see groups of bats in the United States, um, we would call those a swarm because those are bats usually at the entrance to a cave Mm -hmm. or a mine where they're going to hibernate for the winter. And then we will see bats group up and we see larger groups of bats, but it is very uncommon to see them in groups otherwise. Uh, And my story goes back to my youth, my misspent youth in uh, the suburb of Madison Heights, Michigan, uh, at a time when we could go across the street to the park right across the street, and at twilight, we would see bats flying around. Um, I don't know how often that happens now in in our suburbs, but at the time, we would see bats, and what we would do as kids is we would throw rocks in the air, not to hit the bats because we knew we couldn't hit them, but to see them dive to follow the rocks. Now, uh, is is that something they would do to check it out to make sure it wasn't uh, some kind of uh, prey for them? Yes, so all your bats there in uh, Michigan, where you grew up, would be insectivorous bats, and they would be checking out the rock to see if it was a large beetle or a large moth that they might be able to go after. We loved that. We 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 found that <laughs> torturing uh, the bats. No, it was entertainment. It was we were so entertained by it because oh look, the bats going to dive and try to follow the rock, and then they would you know sure. veer off immediately mm-hmm. when they realized it wasn't anything alive, and we would just keep doing that and. Uh, that would, and then we'd get too They'd dark. They'd get bored with you. And... Yeah, exactly, and they would go away. So that is that is my one. That's my first bat story. The other bat story will come later. But so okay. that takes me to you, uh, Doctor O'Keefe. How does a person become interested in studying bats? What happened to you? Well, all you have to do is go out and catch bats, and handle bats, and see bats in their natural environment. And if you like being out at night. Uh, then it's almost a guarantee that you're going to be hooked <laughs> in and you're going to love working with bats. I see this happen time and time again with my students. And bats are so tremendously fascinating. I actually have an undergraduate student who is pre-med who's here at this conference with me. And she's, you know, sure, she's going to become a doctor. But now that she's sat for three days and talks, listening to experts from around the world talk about bats, mm-hmm. she's 
she's wondering if maybe she wants to study bats. So they're just so fascinating that there's there's so much to learn, and they're they're really unique mammals. Um, obviously, the only mammal that can fly. And so once once people start studying them, they usually they usually get sucked in and they they can't get away. And they're they're what about twenty percent of all the mammals? Correct. So there are approximately 1,400 species of mammals here. We actually have a T-shirt that was uh, in our silent auction that says 1,395 species as of October 2018. Um, I'm sure that will change. Um, Some of that is uh, discovering new species, but Mm -hmm. often it's just us getting better with genetics and dividing species that we thought were one into multiple species. How much trouble are bats in worldwide? We know that there is white nose syndrome here. Uh, mm-hmm. in the United States. Is it uh, all around the planet now? Uh, no, white nose syndrome is really only negatively impacting bats in North America. The fungus and and perhaps a little of the disease is also found in Europe and in Asia, but their bats seem to be adapted to the fungus that causes white nose syndrome, and they don't uh, are definitely not dying in large numbers like our bats are here. We've lost millions of bats. The last estimate about seven years ago was that we had lost around 7 billion bats. Whoa, so whoa, whoa. whoa. Se- with, a B, B, with a B? No, no. Million, with seven, a, a million, million. Seven million. Okay. Million, Woo. So. All right. And then bat, bats do have some threats that are uh, pervasive around the world. Habitat loss um, is a big problem. Persecution is a large problem. Lots of people don't like bats um, because they uh, are afraid of them or because they roost in buildings and people don't want bats around in their buildings. So uh-huh. people kill bats in other parts of the world. And, and in uh, Southeast Asia, for example, bats are hunted pretty regularly, large bats and eaten. And so that's a, that's a big problem for their populations. You know, I, I it makes sense. But the idea that uh, an animal is persecuted is unique to me. I had not heard that before, but it makes total sense. And they're not the only animal that's persecuted. There are a lot right. of animals that are mm-hmm. feared, um, often uh, reptiles, uh, and mm-hmm. um, what else? Um, you, you don't fear a lot oh, of bees. Bees, yes. Right. Insects well, and we... reptiles, I would think, had the list. Right. Well, so we, we I, I find that we fear what we don't understand. And yeah. so that's why our job is so important to learn more about bats and then to disseminate information mm-hmm. to folks about bats so that they better understand them. And, and I've seen attitudes changing about bats in the United States. Um, and we're hoping to change attitudes around the world. There was actually a biologist here at the conference who talked about behavioral theories that she studied for a year to try to understand why people kill bats in Southeast Asia and how she can change their attitudes about the uh, the norms, societal norms for hunting bats, what is acceptable. Do you see uh, societal norms uh, having changed here in the United States and in North America? I know <laughs> I, I can imagine that uh, trying to make a change, as you mentioned, in, in other cultures can be like turning around the Titanic. Uh, mm-hmm. In the United States, of course, I, I played uh, leading into this segment a couple of pieces that relate to Halloween. And it seems to me this is the best of times and worst of times for biologists to talk about bats because of uh, all the silliness surrounding Halloween. And uh, I imagine that just leads to more myths uh, about bats. So, you know, my, my recommendation is let's pick a holiday uh, half a year away from Halloween and celebrate bats. Not don't have Bat Week leading up to Halloween because it plays into those myths, don't you think? 
Sure, it does. And we and we do uh, have bat week timed in an interesting manner in that way. But I, I would say that that the attitudes are changing and uh, even around Halloween, mm-hmm. if you go into the store now and you look at the types of materials they have that have bats on them, the bats are by and large friendly looking bats. They don't have large fangs, which, of course, our bats <laughs> in the United States don't have fangs anyways. But, you know, they don't they don't have uh, they're not blood sucking bats that you see in the store. Most of the time they're friendly looking bats. And I see, you know, bat lights, uh, bat napkins cocktail napkins you know pretty 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 benign things that have bats on them and i think that people are are starting to think more positively about bats and that's that's partly a reflection of this white nose syndrome disease Mm -hmm. so since it struck bats in new york back in 2006 we biologists have had to scramble to learn more about some of our bats as we're we're losing them right before our eyes. We're seeing bats go extinct in the United States, certain species. And and so we are really trying to learn a lot about bats. And one of the uh, sidebars of that is that we do a lot of education to try to bring more people onto our cause so that we can make uh, more progress. And so we've, we've done a tremendous amount of outreach and we do that in the Bat Center at Indiana State University. And I think that that's, uh, that, that's helping to change the opinion, the public opinion on bats. That's uh, Dr. Joy O'Keefe from Indiana State University. Uh, uh, a few weeks ago, I was down your way, in fact, drove through Terre Haute, Indiana, um, coming up from Mammoth Cave. Uh, and one of the interesting mm-hmm. things that we had to do coming out of the cave, I meant to put a photo of it, and I forgot last night when I was putting this together. Uh, I took a photo of us wiping our feet on the mat when you come out of the cave, You the soapy mat, and, you, and they make you slog through it. Uh, they don't care if you get your tennis shoes wet uh, because uh, they're trying to keep white nose syndrome from spreading elsewhere. Uh, as our, our guide said, well, we know it's here at Mammoth Cave already. We just don't want to send it out anywhere else. Um, and what would have been in that soapy water that we walked through? Well, we've we've been testing out various solutions for decontaminating gear for years, but I imagine that the thing that they're using at Mammoth Cave is Woolite, actually, because Woolite is very good at scrubbing debris off of gear, and mm-hmm. it can help to, dis- to scrub that fungus off of your shoes. We actually use alcohol or boiling water to decontaminate our gear, and biologists decontaminate between cave visits, so when they go from one cave to another, or uh, between sites where we're netting for bats, and mm-hmm. even in the summer mm-hmm. when bats aren't being killed by the disease, we still try to clean off our gear as best we can to prevent spreading the fungus from one site to another. Do we have any idea how that uh, disease originated? Are there any theories on that? Sure. Well, after we found white nose syndrome here in the United States, then we figured out that the fungus was the causal agent that this, this, fungus we'd never seen before was was causing this problem with our bats. And we went to Europe and learned that they sometimes see bats with the fungus growing on them during the winter. And when folks took samples and, and uh, assessed that, they found it was the same species. Uh, it's a different strain, but it's the same species. And so we think that the fungus was perhaps brought over to a cave in New York where it was first discovered in a show cave by someone who, you know, had no idea that it was on their shoes or on their backpack that they had had in a cave in Europe somewhere. And so then they they inadvertently brought the fungus over and like any good invasive species, it just spread. And our bats were new to it. They'd never experienced this. And so it really caused a lot of problems for certain species. So for some of our listeners who might not know what white nose fungus is, it's 
the disease spreading across the country in 33 states, seven or eight provinces, just found in, in Washington state. How does it affect the bats? Why is it such a serious problem? So the fungus grows on bats and in a cave environment during the winter in particular, it thrives between 12 and 15 degrees Celsius. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it actually grows on the skin of bats and can cause some necrosis, causes their wing tissue to be, uh, to, to, to develop holes, which can affect flight, obviously, but also affects their, uh, evaporative water loss across their wing membrane, which is really important so bats can actually get dehydrated uh, because they don't have uh, a full, in, fully intact wing membrane. But the fungus is also just really irritating to bats. So imagine having like a really bad case of athlete's foot while you're trying to sleep for two weeks. Uh, that's, what's, that's what's happening. You know, these bats need to stay in deep torpor, which we mm -hmm. call hibernation, uh, for long periods of time to avoid expending a lot of energy during the winter because there's nothing to eat since they all eat insects. And, uh, and, and then they're, they're actually waking up much more often. They're waking up every three to four days to try to groom the fungus off of them and, uh, you know, deal with this, this infection of a fungus. And so, uh, it, bats end up actually starving if they uh, are in a cave affected by the fungus, then they may not make it through the winter because they don't have enough fat reserves to keep burning the energy they need to keep waking up all these repeated times. But even if a bat doesn't make it or does make it through the winter, when they emerge uh, from hibernation, the females become pregnant with pups uh, and and have to fly off to some remote area to raise their pups for the summer in a different environment than the cave. And and the energy that it requires to do that uh, may not be there. All and right. So then Dr. Dr. Okay, we need to take a short break. We'll be back with more bat talk on the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This is Mike Novak. For the past couple of years, I've posted the progress of my tomato growing on social media. And each of those years, somebody said, what kind of sun do you have? My tomatoes are barely started. Folks, it's not the sun. I get my tomatoes started with Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Five-year warranty, USA made. Go to happyleaf.com and save 10% on purchases above $100 when you use the code Mike. Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Jumpstart your tomatoes with better light. Fall is a perfect time to reflect on the beauty of trees, and your memory about a favorite tree could win you tickets to Illumination Tree Lights at the Morton Arboretum this coming holiday season. Or you could get a spot in an Open Lands Tree Keeper course. Just tell a story about a tree that has special meaning to you. To enter, submit your tree story online through the end of October to Tremendous Trees, a project of the Morton Arboretum and Open Lands. Go to tree-stories.org. Have you ever walked into a hair salon and been overwhelmed by the smell of chemicals? Well, that's never going to happen at Organic Roots Eco Salon. They use only the safest, most natural professional hair products available to make sure you get great color results that last and won't harm the environment or you. Their salon products and services are free from ammonia, formaldehyde, and other toxins typically found in hair color, perms, and keratin smoothing treatments. Organic Roots also offers a complete menu of safe straightening treatments, including the non-toxic Magic Sleek and Cezanne Keratin Smoothing products that let you shampoo the same day. They even repurpose hair clippings, recycle product containers, and use LED lighting. Now that's green. Walk into 21st Century Hair Care for women and men at Organic Roots Eco Salon, 3417 Dempster in Skokie. Book your appointment at OrganicRootsEcoSalon.com or call 847 423 
800-242-2653. Health and beauty. You no longer have to sacrifice one for the other. You're listening to Weekends on WCGO. Check out our Facebook live stream brought to you in part by our exclusive signage partner, Fast Signs of Lincolnwood. Located at 3450 West Devon Avenue, visit them on the web at fastsigns.com slash 80. I put a spell on you. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and here I go again, who, you know. Who can name who's singing that song? Uh, we could give away something if uh, uh, if you can name who the, that's such an easy one, but that's okay. At uh, 877-711-5611, you have to call. No Facebook answers, no Twitter answers. Who's singing that song? I'll, I'll give Randall the answer. Then. And uh, Randall should know this. Do you know that, Randall? Yeah, he okay. knows. And uh, and what do you want to give him? Should we give him a ten dollars gift certificate to the firehouse? Do we have any of those? Okay. okay. So there you go. Eight seven 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 eleven fifty six eleven. Let's go back to our phone. Uh, actually, our Skype machine, and we have Doctor Joy O'Keefe who is an associate professor in the Department of Biology and the director of the Center for Bat Research, Outreach, and Conservation at Indiana State University. Uh, she's attending a conference. You're wrapping up, and you're going to catch a plane right after you talk to us, right? That's correct. Coming back. And we appreciate you taking the time. She's in the hotel room with the birds all around her. No bats, as far as we know right now. Um, and uh, she's in Puerto Vallarta. Mexico, uh, where they just wrapped up the conference. All right, we were talking uh, off air on the Facebook stream about uh, the um, um, about the the different kinds of bats in the Midwest. We should get into that just a little bit. We'll get into myths in just a second. But um, we were, I was saying, well, you must have the same number of bats in Illinois as Indiana, but that might not exactly be the case, is it, uh, Doctor O'Keefe? Right. Uh, so we, we both have uh, a number of caves in the lower portions of Indiana and Illinois, but you have some caves that harbor a few species that we don't normally see in Indi- in Indiana. So you actually have 13 species of bats in Illinois. And how many are in, in Indiana? Well, we could get the same 13 species, but two of those and possibly three are species we just never see. So they may have been there historically or they may pop up again sometime in the future, but um, we're more sitting around 10. Hmm. So you've lost track of those. They, they, I take it they appear in Illinois, but not in Indiana that you just don't find them in your area anymore? Yes, you have some very swampy habitat down in the mm-hmm. southern part of the state um, that attracts a couple of species that we don't have. And then you have some really nice rocky habitat also down in the southern part of the state that attracts another bat, the small-footed bat, which likes to roost under pieces of rock that are sitting on top of more rocks. So they really like rock crevices. <laughs> yeah. You have great habitat for that in southern Illinois. And the other's what, the southeastern bat? The southeastern myotis and also the raffinesque's big-eared bat. Uh, and yeah, I have a cheat sheet here, by the way. <laughs> and, and, and where's that cheat sheet from? This cheat sheet, uh, Natural History of Illinois Bats by Joyce E. Hoffman, Illinois Natural History Survey. Well, there you go. I mean, yes, you... they have a great web page on bats for Illinois. Ah, well, I have to add that to to uh, the blog post. 
Uh, one of the things we mentioned also was the economic interest of keeping bats healthy. Uh, they're, they're great pollinators, aren't they, Dr. O'Keefe? Yes, although that's not an ecosystem service provided by our bats in Indiana and Illinois, but that is true around the world, especially in the neotropics like Mexico, where I am right now, that bats are pollinators. Bats provide um, a really valuable service worldwide as major consumers of insects. So all of our bats in Indiana and Illinois are insectivorous, and a bat can consume half to all of its body weight in insects in one night. So wow. a really valuable service Holy for us. Holy smoke. Wow. Wow, that's all right. Imagine you. Uh, OK, I would imagine uh, eating a dinner where I consume 200 pounds at a sitting. That's not a good thing, is it? It's <laughs> no, a lot of I have pizza. really fast metabolism to work through that. <laughs> no kidding. Of course, if I were flying around. I'd, yeah, you're right. I'd probably be burning up all those calories. <laughs> That's amazing. Right. You know, and, and from what I understand, the tequila industry kind of relies on bats as well. Yes, definitely. So there are some bats that are pollinators of the agave plants, and they mm -hmm. actually follow a trail of agaves from south to north as they migrate north in the summer to uh, spend the summer in either northern Mexico or in the United States in Arizona, New Mexico. And then they fly back south along the other side of a mountain chain pollinating agave as they go back to Mexico. So we actually have at the conference here some bat-friendly tequila, and I encourage your <laughs> cool. listeners to look up bat-friendly tequila. So that is something that uh, some of the bat biologists here in Mexico have pushed for in recent years. That's, that's a great I, idea. I was actually reading an article on how some of the tequila farmers are working with conservationists to exactly. so, Im yes. improve how the agave is, is harvested and kept and leave the flowers on. Right. So they're leaving 20 percent of the plants with flowers so mm -hmm. that bats can pollinate, which actually helps their agave crop because it brings in more genetic diversity through pollination. And then that way the bats have something to eat. So these agave farms aren't just, you know, devoid of bats. All right. This takes me to my second bat story, which happened about 20 years ago in a third floor apartment here in Chicago. Uh, and I was home alone, sitting in the living room, and suddenly a bat comes flying in the living room, which is a little uh, disturbing if you're you're sitting by yourself there. And it started flying around, and I sort of ducked and waited. And then suddenly it was quiet, and I thought, okay, I got a bat in the house. Where do I think the bat has gone? I figured, okay, it's up high, probably. I don't know whether that's just uh, in, you know, whether that's accurate or not. And I thought, mm -hmm. probably in a dark room. So I went back to the dining room in the back of the apartment. And, of course, the bat was on the molding at the top of the wall. Um, mm -hmm. And I thought, now what do I do? I went, aha, I have a butterfly net. Everybody in the world has butterfly nets in their apartments, right? <laughs> uh, so I got next to the bat, grabbed the butterfly net, went whoop, grabbed, got the bat in the net, took it out to the back porch, and it flew out of the net, and that was the end of that. So uh, it actually ended up very happily for both of us. Um, what about bats that get into your house? Uh, what do you need to be uh, concerned about, if anything? Well, there is a concern that uh, someone in the house could be bitten and wouldn't be aware that they were bitten. You know, if that bat had bitten you, you would be well aware because you were watching the bat and, and paying attention. But perhaps someone who's sleeping or a, a small child or someone who's just not able to report adequately whether or not they were bitten, it is a concern. So, you know, the, the health department will advise that if you find a bat in your house that you should collect the bat 
and get it tested for rabies or that you should go and get post-exposure shots for rabies yourself. The reality is that very few bats actually have rabies. So we find it in less than 1% of the bats that are actually turned in to be tested. Uh, so it's a very small fraction of all the bats in Illinois that do have rabies. But it happens from time to time. The best thing to do is to avoid getting bitten by the bat <laughs> if you can. So wear heavy gloves, mm-hmm. use your butterfly net. Like you said, everybody has one in their apartment, right? So <laughs> you should be able to grab the bat and get it outside um, safely. You can use a shoebox um, uh-huh. or a sure. dish towel. But, you know, yeah. avoid being bitten. Most of our bats are pretty small, so it shouldn't be a problem to avoid being bitten if you do try to evict it. All right, so it takes us to some of the uh, other myths that are on a site that uh, you turned me on to, which is Bat Conservation International, uh, and they have headlines, and one sentence uh, response is, blind as a bat, forget it, bats are flying mice, nope, bats get tangled in your hair, get real, bats are bloodsuckers, um, not so much, uh, all bats are rabid, you just address that. So uh, I... I didn't realize that bats have as much sight as as pretty much any mammal, right? Mm-hmm. They do see pretty well. They can find their landmarks. And sometimes bats turn off echolocation while they're flying around. There was a talk about that at the conference here this week where bats are flying around silent, and you wouldn't expect that. But mm-hmm. they can navigate with their vision. There are uh, about 200 species of bats in uh, Southeast Asia, the flying foxes, that don't use Um, And also in Africa and other parts of the old world tropics, but that don't use echolocation at all. And they navigate purely with their vision. And they really have big eyes. We call a lot of those bats the flying foxes. They have big dog-like faces with big eyes. Ah, And and the one thing I was interested in here, uh, under bats are flying mice, uh, they write bats are mammals, but they are not rodents. In fact, they are more closely related to humans than to rats and mice. Is is, it? Really? Yes. Yes. We can figure that out genetically. And we share more genes in common with bats than uh, we do with mice and rodents. So, yes, they're they're more like us, which is pretty cool. That is. (laughs) I can't wait to sprout wings and uh, fly or get webbing on my (laughs) under my arms and and get the butterfly net ready, Randall. Yeah, yeah, but that's (laughs) that's for me. Yeah. Uh, so what have we missed here, uh, Joy, uh, about bats that you want to get across? We have a couple of minutes. Well, I think it's important for people to try to understand more about bats. As we talked about, it's really critical that we get more people thinking positively about them because they do face so many threats. So go out and look uh, for bats at night mm-hmm. in Chicago. Of course, this isn't a good time because they're starting to move to their winter sites where they're going to spend the winter, but maybe next spring and in the summer. There's also lots of bat programs around Chicago. Some of the forest preserves and some of the nature parks, nature centers do bat programs during the summer. The Lincoln Park Zoo has a citizen science uh, website where you can go on and help them with some of their research on mammals around the Chicagoland area. They're also doing acoustic surveys for bats and would be a great resource for folks who want to ask questions about bats in Chicagoland. And Will County has a big right. bat program I, as yeah, well. Yeah, I put uh, a link there to Will County as well. And we had a, a, a quick question about Will County. Did you see that, Peggy? Uh, I did not, but I'll find uh, it. Okay. Uh, well, uh, we probably don't have time for that. But you, I think you also mentioned something. That, is a field museum doing something next spring? Yeah, so we're having a meeting in April at the Field Museum of Natural History. On It's the Midwest Bat Working Group meeting, so we'll have experts from around the Midwest who come together to talk about bats there in Chicago. Uh, and is that open to the public? 
Uh, it's a conference like the one that I'm at now. So, um, uh, you know, if somebody was interested, I'd recommend getting on the Midwest Bat Working Group website, which you can just Google and uh, find out a little bit more information about it. All right. Here's the question. Let's a uh, quick answer. And I don't want to spread any rumors. Uh, one of our listeners says she heard that uh, in Will County, a high percentage of bats have rabies. We just uh, debunked the rabies thing. Uh, do you think that's some sort of rumor or myth? Uh, you know, there may have been a couple instances where bats were found with rabies, and so that might translate to someone thinking there's a high percentage. But re- in reality, it's a very low percentage across the bat population in that area that would have rabies. Like I said, less than 1% of the bats that get tested actually are positive. Well, uh, Dr. Joy O'Keefe from Indiana State University, thank you so much. This was uh, fascinating, enlightening stuff. Uh, have a safe trip home, and when you get into town, come into the studio sometime, and we'll, and we'll talk here, okay? Okay, sounds good. Thank you. All right, have a great Sunday. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We're talking Green Living Festival when we come back. Are you looking for a new ride? Ready to leave gas stations in the dust and speed down the highway 0 to 60 in under 3 seconds? Well, here's your chance. The Illinois Solar Energy Association is raffling off a 2018 Tesla Model X. The award-winning all-electric SUV and only 2,500 tickets will be sold. Come on, we all know fossil fuels are going the way of the dinosaurs, but you don't have to. Switch your ride to an electric car by entering the 2018 Illinois Solar Energy Association raffle. All it takes is one ticket for $100 or increase your chances by getting four tickets for $300 at IllinoisSolar.org. So bury your fossil fuel car, go green with Tesla, and be part of a cleaner tomorrow. All raffle proceeds will fully benefit the Illinois Solar Energy Association, a nonprofit working to advance solar energy development throughout the state of Illinois. Winner will be drawn at the ISEA member meeting on December 6, 2018, and does not need to be present. Anyone in the continental U.S. is eligible, so get your tickets, the rules, and other small print details at IllinoisSolar.org today. Stay in touch with The Mike Novak Show. Find us on Facebook at The Mike Novak Show. Use the Twitter handle at MikeNow. Send us a photo on Instagram at The Mike Novak Show or write to us, Mike at MikeNovak.net. Speaking of the website, podcasts and blog posts are available every week at MikeNovak.net. And while you're there, sign up for those posts and our newsletter on the homepage. And please support the sponsors who support us. Look for logos and specials at MikeNovak.net. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Uh, those of you listening on the A and the M, uh, we're, we're, Randall's scrambling in there because uh, the autopilot has uh, bailed. It's haunted. Yes, it's haunted. The autopilot jumped out of the airplane about 20 <laughs> minutes ago, and so he's he's flying manually and blind. So if you hear so, two spots at the same time, uh, and we hope it's that every, every, you're hearing all of us. So let's uh, take this moment to go to the phone. Uh, and bring in uh, a friend of the show, uh, and we're going to see her next Saturday. That's Kim Hankins, the Director of Sustainability at McHenry County College. Kim, good morning. Uh, And she's still on hold, or unless she was on line one. Wait, wait. Hold on. Do, 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 do. 
Uh, oh, we're going to call her back. Okay. And I'm not getting, uh, something's not firing on my prod comp here. If you've got that, do you have that uh, up there? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. We're getting Kim back, but. But but we can't, I can't play my sound effects uh, here. Well, let's talk well, about. Yeah, Kim's the director of sustainability at McHenry County College. I was just playing this and playing this. And, and there we go. And we're hearing nothing. All of a sudden. Thank you. It's another gotcha. I love all the gotchas here. Alive. It's alive. It's alive. I know, and that's what we're dealing with today. All right, do we have Kim uh, uh, available? Are we going to give her a go? Kim, are you there? Good morning, Mike. Hi, Peggy. Woo! Good morning. All right. <laughs> it's, good to... it's slightly haunted in the studio it, here this morning. I don't so. know what's going on, but... <laughs> Uh, uh, welcome back to the show. Kim uh, is a, a regular visitor now because you do all kinds of great things at uh, McHenry County College. You have the speaker series mm-hmm. in February and you have the Green Living Festival uh, coming up next Saturday, uh, every November. And it's chock full of interesting stuff and it just seems to get better and better each year. Uh, Peggy, go go through the list very quickly of kind of some of the stuff that uh, Kim has got out well, there. It's the 11th annual show, um, the Expo, uh, talking about area farmers, local and organic food, clean transportation, um, recycling, living lightly. There's an art festival, um, the Art Walk, Northern Illinois Beekeepers Association, and, and more and more and more. And fish. And fish. And, and fish. lots of fish. 2,500 gallons of fish. And you brought in one of our favorite uh, sponsors, Sitka Salmon Shares, um, a, a, a great sponsor for the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And they're going to be at your event, and you're talking a lot of fish. What's that all about, Kim? Oh, this is the coolest thing. And thanks for hitting all the hi- some of the highlights, but there's lots more. But this is the coolest thing. We have two sponsors this year. Like you said, we've got Sitka and we've got Magitech Energy Solutions helping us, too. To bring this fish tank, <clears throat> it's crazy huge. At 2,500 gallons, it's hard to wrap your head around something that size. But it comes in basically on a, the back of a truck, and they park it right outside. We're not going to put it inside. And uh, we fill it up with water, and they get it all ready. And then IDNR folks, God bless them, they bring some fish down early, early Friday morning or, or sometime on Friday, I think. And then they'll be all set to go on Saturday and just to enjoy them. We got, they try to get a little bit of everything. There's usually one poor muskie in there that's... <laughs> swimming around and kind of frustrated because it's not big enough and <laughs> he's huge. Yeah, but lots of other good ones in there. <clears throat> and these are fish from the so Fox River. Thing we're going to have, um, we're going to have hopefully spur a little conversation about sustainable seafood. So there, I think there's so much confusion about you know what to eat, where, and what's good and what isn't. And so the Shed Aquarium is actually coming too, and they have a great um, whole conversation starter about sustainable seafood with their seafood app, <clears throat> Seafood Watch app. So just have a little bit of information and some posters and some just some kind of stuff for people to kind of digest and take home and think about and maybe make some choices if they feel like it. That's fantastic. And again, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Magitech Energy Solutions, Inc. is uh, one of the big fish sponsors, as is Sitka Salmon Shares. Uh, and uh, we mentioned uh, last week or the week before, I can't remember, Happy two weeks ago, Happy Leaf LED is going to be there, Ringer's Landscape, Marvin's Toy Store, um, uh, 
they are all great sponsors. There's there's other folks. Uh, Loyola is uh, involved in this. Uh, the WPPC, yeah. um, the the Land Conservancy of McHenry County. You got a lot of folks who are who are helping support you for this. Yeah, it's great. They you know what they just really understand that this is a great way to get their messages, their products, their information out to the community, and we try to really just handpick those businesses mm-hmm. and organizations that we know that really have something to offer for our community. I am a little disappointed, however, that there will not <laughs> be bowling pumpkins for compost this year. That well, was that was my you know, favorite activity. Glad you that. <laughs> we do have a special announcement just for you. Yes. That we are going to bring the bowling kit and set it up for you because we have a last-minute edition that Smart Farm's going to take our pumpkins. Wow! And we will set up the bowling. At the Yay! End of the I, I will be bowl, <laughs> bowling pumpkins for compost, <laughs> and and really it was you. They had the pins, and you just rolled these uh, jack o' lanterns uh, toward uh, uh, toward the pins, and then uh, afterward they collect what's left of the pumpkin and they compost it. If you go to the Mike Novak Show Facebook page and look back, you got to go all the way back a year in the videos, but. There is a video of we Mike bowling some, for compost. We got to take some stills this year <laughs> as well, uh, and you also have. Well, the, you got to make it fun, right? <laughs> it is. It's th- that is great. Uh, which but, may, but you can bring your pumpkins again to recycle this year. Definitely, and any of your fall decor, any of that stuff you want to bring, it's compostable. And then with the battery collection too, we're not obviously like composting the batteries, but we have a battery um, collection for recycling batteries too. Alkalines, not don't bring your boat battery or anything, but yeah. alkaline batteries. Yeah. Well, yeah, but those are the are those the regular non recyclable batteries that you're uh, collecting. Right. You know that yeah, is that's, that's that, what we're collecting. That's such a great service. I'm bringing mine. One of the things that has driven okay. me crazy in, in the past decade is the uh, EPA suddenly said, you know what, we don't need to recycle the alkaline batteries anymore. Uh, just use the rechargeables, and you know nobody buys the rechargeables. Uh, and now we've got billions mm-hmm. of batteries, and they tell you, I ah, just throw them away. And that's just that's nuts. I don't understand terrible. that. Kim, where, where do you take them? Um, well, actually, we do a collection. We work with the same people that do the collections for the Environmental Defenders in McHenry County, and we do a collection at MCC for our staff and students. Okay. And so that's nice, um, <clears throat> just the service we provide. The Sustainability Center provides for um, MCC folks, and so I take them there. But there's a whole bunch of places that take them now. It's really pretty easy. Really? Now, wait. Really? Because in the old days, they used to take them, but then a lot of these places stopped. You used to be able to drop it off the Walgreens and so forth. So, okay, now I have to investigate again because I was under the impression that it was difficult to recycle the uh, non-rechargeable batteries. Uh, And you're telling me that's not necessarily the case. So I will do a little investigating into this. And by the way, next Saturday, November 3rd, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m., at McHenry County College, that's 8900 U.S. Highway 14 in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Uh, we will be there. Peggy and I will be mm-hmm. there. Uh, and uh, Kim will be there. And come on, stop by and have a great time. Kim Hankins, thank you so much for being with us today. We appreciate it. My pleasure, Mike. Can't wait to see you guys next weekend. Captain's Log, Stardate 42326.1. The Enterprise is under attack by an apparently hostile life form. Mr. Wolf. Status report. Inexplicable, Captain. They appear to be perambulating vegetables.
We are being stalked by stalks of asparagus. That is incorrect, Mr. Wharf. Killer asparagus was the subject of a very popular 21st century tome by the brilliant author Mike Novak. Mike Novak. I'm familiar with his work, and so am I. Mike Novak was one of the smartest, funniest people in the horticultural world of the 21st century. Tell me more, Mr. Data. He has been variously compared to Mark Twain, Dave Barry, and Edgar Allan Poe. Raven Gosplach, my favorite holiday dish. Thank you, Mr. Wolf. Mr. Data, options. It seems to be available online at AroundTheBlockPress.com. AroundTheBlockPress.com. What do they have to say? Hmm. It appears that Mike Novak is a slapstick every gardener. I prefer my asparagus with a side of patach Mr. Wolf, are you joking? Actually, Captain, I believe he is choking. Welcome to the second hour of the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a soup song of humor. Or is that a dash? Call us with your questions and comments at 877-711-5611. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root and bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. And we lost our caller. He he hung on and he hung on and then he dropped. And uh, Fran, if you want to call back, 877-711-5611. We've got a chance to talk. Do you happen to remember what the question was, Randall? You know what? I got the answer. I, I got, I've got your answer, dude. Uh, you water until the ground is frozen, until it won't uh, accept water anymore. And you know, looking at the what we had now recently, we're we've been a little dry. Mm-hmm. It's been cool and dry, and folks get faked out. What happens is they think, well, it's cool and dry, so there's not a lot of evaporation, so my plants are doing great. Uh, and I look at the rain this morning and go, this ain't nothing. This is, uh, we'll talk to Rick DeMaio, our meteorologist, at the end of the hour. He'll tell us uh, what we have in store. But uh, we've had very little rain uh, recently. And if you planted a new tree, so Fran, if you're talking about a new tree, uh, yeah, get that drip hose out. That's the best thing for it at this time of year. Uh, you, can, you can spot water that mm-hmm. sucker. Uh, and I don't know how big your root ball was there. Sometimes uh, uh, you get a drip hose right next to the trunk, and you let it drip, and it'll cover the whole root ball. If you've got a particularly large tree, large root ball, because sometimes they're four or 500 pounds, uh, you can do it in quadrants and drip hose there. And when, when I say leave, leave the hose on for like half an hour or something, but just on a trickle so that it very slowly percolates into the root ball. And you want to do that as long as the ground is not frozen. Uh, because the roots will continue to grow. Uh, and uh, you've got to remember that even when the air temperature uh, gets below freezing, often the ground is not mm-hmm. uh, below freezing. Uh, the, the ground will hold on to that warmth for a while. Um, so uh, I tell folks, and I've said this in the past, sometimes it's Thanksgiving, you put the turkey in, you go out and water. Uh, if it's been particularly dry, you know, while the turkey's cooking, uh, go out there and get that drip hose on on. Um, you know, not so much for perennials, although if you... Yeah, if you just put in some fall plants yeah, well, I, or I, bulbs. And and speaking of that, speaking of that, Peggy, uh, I, uh, the other day, Friday, finally got around. <laughs> I don't I don't advise this. You, you were trimming a rose bush when I talked with you. Uh, exactly. I ripped out a rose bush, and please, I never, 
ever, <laughs> ever want to rip out a rose bush again. No. If you've ever done that, you know that, especially if one that's been around for a dozen years like this one, uh, or longer, and sometimes they've been around 50 years, 100 years, and you start digging, and you realize the roots go down all the way down to the center of the earth. And, You're uh, pulling up bedrock. Uh, exactly. And um, this, this, this rose bush came uh, out in chunks. <laughs> and I'm too old for this, okay? This is really hard work. This is, I mean, I was sweating like crazy, and it was 45 degrees. Getting Actually, all scratched it, it, up. And... Yeah, and that's the other thing. I still have thorns in my hands that I've been trying to get out oh. for two days. You know, the little, you get that little piece mm-hmm. in there, and you can't get it out. Uh, it's hard to rip out a, a, an established rose bush, and I don't want to ever do it again, except that I've got one in my backyard that I need to take out. So, Did, did uh, you get the perennials all in? I got most of them in. Excellent. I'm so happy. Now we need some water, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the sprinkler out there if mm-hmm. we don't get enough rain here, and then I'm going to throw as many leaves on. I'm going to be raking up my neighbor's parkways and bringing the leaves to mine oh, yeah. um, just to protect them and hope that some of these plants – it's really, really – you don't want to be planting – Stuff this late, um, perennials, uh, I don't have any choice. It's like either get them in the ground mm-hmm. now, and I figure my success rate will be like 50% yeah, or something. I still have two of them sitting there and a bunch of bulbs. So, so I don't – and the bulbs. I dug up some bulbs, and now i got to re- reposition those. So uh, you wanted to mention Mr. Turk today. Yeah. Coming up today, Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall. Carrie Kendall. Carrie Kendall. You could do it backward, you know. Coming you up want. today on Playtime with Bill Turk and – Carrie Kendall. Uh, Bill and Carrie are having a wedding in the second hour, and you're going to have to listen to hear what that is all about. But I hear there's going to be champagne and cake, so definitely want to listen this afternoon at 2 o'clock. All right. Uh, but starting at 1, just in time for Halloween from the Ghostland Society, Bob Jensen from the Chicago Magic Lounge. The only man to stump Penn and Teller, David Parr, is joining them. And Al James and Jethro Tull guitarist Martin Barr is calling in to talk about his new album. Uh, Demetrius and Vince from the Second Act Players, and of course, hashtag Blame Bill. Hashtag Blame Bill. And the difference between his show and ours is that we have, and he has entertainment. We have our uh, bat lady on to talk about bats and the scientific aspect. And and, he has the Jethro Tull guitarist. And he's, right, exactly. But that's okay. We've got, we cover, we cover both ends Mm -hmm. of the spectrum here. So uh, tune in to, uh, yes, many surprises on uh, Playtime with Bill Turk and... Carrie Kendall. We've got that down. Uh, and um, and uh, anything else that uh, we're missing here? Uh, anything else you want to get in the ground? <laughs> any, 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 any other work? Uh, you can still get bulbs in as we talk. Yes. Bulbs is easy. That's the easy part. It's the perennials if, if you're putting them in right now that uh, are going to be tricky. You just need to mulch the heck out of them. Just, I just ju- Yeah. And just a lot of general yard cleanup, getting the tomato plants out. Oh, yeah. All of that. I hadn't even thought about that. Oh, my goodness. I got cu- I got big, fat cucumbers that are they're too big to be harvested. I'm just going to leave them in the ground, yeah. on the ground. You'll have be- cukes next year. Exactly. They will. The seeds will just drop, and they'll reseed themselves in the spring, and then I don't have to plant anything. That's, that's how that works. There we go. All right. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, not Carrie Kendall. All right. And we will be back and we'll talk recycling with Madison Hopkins. Please stick around. From boat to doorstep. 
You can have the best in premium and sustainable Alaskan seafood right here in the Midwest. Sitka Salmon Shares is an Alaskan community-supported fishery, or CSF, comprised of small boat family fishermen from southeast Alaska. They're supported by 4,000 CSF members, and you can be one, too. Sign up at SitkaSalmonShares.com to receive fresh Alaska salmon, whitefish, and more in shares ranging from three to nine months. Use promo code MikeNovak18 for $25 off. Go to SitkaSalmonShares.com. If you're looking to invest in an electrical car or truck, make sure to hire a state-licensed electrical contract. The installation of that charger will require a permit in most municipalities. So make sure to check the ICC website for a certified contractor at icc.illinois.gov. You can also call DNR Services Unlimited. They've been a licensed electrical contractor since 1992. Visit their website at restorethenorthshore.com or give them a call at 847-998-1687. It'll be easy to find someone cheaper, but a lot harder to find someone better. Those amazing green folks at McHenry County College are at it again. The 11th Annual Green Living Expo returns on Saturday, November 3rd, and it's better than ever. New this year is the Clean Transportation Exhibit featuring electric cars and bikes. The college solar and super mileage team race cars are back, and this year they're bringing a hybrid engine truck. There's a 2,500-gallon fish tank where you can see many species of Fox River fish. Visit with area farms, CSAs, and other organizations to learn more about local agriculture. There are 100 green exhibits, local food purveyors, sustainable artists, and vendors of all kinds, even on-site battery recycling. The Green Living Expo is free and open to the public. Peggy and I will be there. Come and join us. McHenry County College, Saturday, November 3rd from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Go to mchenry.edu slash greenexpo. You're listening to Weekends on WCGO. Check out our Facebook live stream brought to you in part by our exclusive signage partner, Fast Signs of Lincolnwood. Located at 3450 West Devon Avenue, visit them on the web at fastsigns.com slash 80. Those fingers in my hair That sly come hither stare That strips my conscience bare It's witchcraft uh, Thank you, Chairman of the Board. Welcome back to the Mike and Novak Show I with Peggy Malecki. Those of you who are longtime listeners of uh, the show, of the program, uh, going back, way back, I mean, back to when I was on uh, Gargantua Radio, down the dial, and then Progresso Radio, down the dial, and now here at 1590 WCGO Chicago Smart Talk. Know that I am um, a little bit obsessed with recycling in Chicago. Uh, for six years, I was president of the Chicago Recycling Coalition. Actually, was a uh, member for eh, about 10 years and um, still talk about it a lot on my show. So uh, a couple of months ago, I got a phone call from a woman named Madison Hopkins, and she said she was an investigative reporter with the Better Government Association, and she was doing a a story on recycling in Chicago. And uh, she said, (laughs) uh, do you have any information I can give you? And then so I proceeded to talk her ear off um, about things that I knew 
uh, about it, and and I tried to help as much as I could um, and steer her in the right direction, and then didn't hear much for a while, and then she sent me an email uh, a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, that story is up, and um, I got a chance to read it, and it has been making waves since it was released, uh, not a little more, a little less than three weeks ago, um, and uh, that woman, Madison Hopkins, is in the studio with us right now. Madison, thank you so much for coming into the station. Thank you for having me on. You're you're an investigative reporter, writer for the Better Government Association. Um, what led you to do this story? I mean, I, I've talked about this for forever. Um, because it's a, a, a failed system and has been a failed system in Chicago for 30 years, while uh, other cities in, in, and municipalities in the country uh, have varying degrees of success with recycling. But nobody's as bad as we are, and it's, and it's iconic. It's historic, our, our failure. Why did you decide to pick this up, or was it something that the BGA decided we need to investigate? Well, really, it came about in such a you know, strange way as far as the typical story, you know, genesis. We were just uh, hanging out around the office and realized that we didn't have a recycling bin in the office. And we knew that there (laughs) was recycling bins down, you know, at the bottom level of the building. But we're just curious about why that wasn't something that we had on hand. And And that's in Chicago. Yes, and that's in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And that led me to just doing some research on uh, this most recent Chicago, um, I think it's the updated recycling ordinance where they're supposed to be putting stricter fines in place for uh, large buildings that don't have recycling. And that kind of led me to more research and about the residential program in Chicago and just its long troubled past and realized nobody had checked out, checked it out in a couple of weeks. So we thought it was time to go back and look at it again. You mean a couple of years? Oh, yeah. Sorry, a couple of years. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, meaning, and when you say a couple of years... You actually mean since 2011, Mm -hmm. because with great fanfare in 2011, well, first of all, you've got to understand the history, and you go through some of this, and the history in Chicago is that uh, Mayor Richard M. Daley in the early 90s uh, came up with this idea. Somebody sold him on the idea that you could put your recyclables in a plastic bag, Mm -hmm. you could put them all in a blue plastic bag. A blue plastic bag, yeah. And you put them in the recycling bin, and then they would be taken to uh, a facility where the recyclables, the, the, the bag would be ripped open, and the, oh, well, wait a second, I forgot. They're going to throw it in with the garbage, first of all. They're mm-hmm. going to throw it in the back of the truck with the garbage, then take it to a facility, and don't worry, we'll recycle all those. Uh, uh, those commodities, mm-hmm. and we'll get them away from the garbage, and and this will work because it'll be really inexpensive. Well, he was right about one thing: it was really inexpensive, but it didn't work. Yes, uh, the blue bag program was, I think, by all accounts, a disaster. I mean, it didn't work. People had no faith in it, and like you said, you know, you're asking the the city government to take these bags and trust that they're going to then go separate them out and that that plastic bag full of recyclables is actually going to make it to the location that's yeah, going to be sorted out break. Yeah. yes without breaking or whatever it is and so the there was very low trust in the program which led to very low participation mm-hmm. and eventually daily scrapped the program um eventually it took him almost 15 years yes, to scrap the program a very long time and you know decided to sub in this new program called blue cart which is the more suburban style uh you know 96 gallon mm-hmm. Tra- same thing as a trash can, but for your recycling. And that was supposed to, you know, 
revitalize recycling in Chicago. Here's the problem with that one, okay? And, and, and folks, if, for those of you who say, stop beating this dead horse that was blue bag, no, you have to. You have to understand the history mm-hmm. to understand the present and why we don't recycle. There was the cynicism that was bred by that program. So now we're at the point where after 15 years of this horrible, horrible program, people gave up. So even when the blue carts came up, I think that led to the low rates in part. So we roll out blue carts. Daily starts rolling them out in 2008. What happens in 2008? The economy goes into the toilet. All right. So he starts rolling them out, and he can't get it done because he doesn't have any money to finish the job. So To, the, to finish delivering the carts. Finish delivering the carts to all the 600,000 mm-hmm. households in Chicago that needed carts. So what happens is for three years, some people have blue carts and some people don't have blue carts. It was a have or have not situation, which, again, engendered more distrust in the city and its recycling program. Exactly. And just people not knowing, uh, you know, where the priority is for recycling, mm-hmm. I guess you would say. is that You know, as I'm sure you know, to actually recycle, to recycle properly is hard work. You kind of have to know what you're doing. Uh-huh. You've got to put a lot of effort into making sure you're only putting good, clean recycles in your bin. And for people who you know, either don't even have the bin or they see that their neighbor is having it and they're not, that absolutely engenders even more, I don't know, confusion about the overall program. So we get to 2011. Mm -hmm. We have a new mayor. Rahm Emanuel says, don't worry, I got the money. We're going to finish rolling this out, which they did by 2013. So it took five years just to get everybody on board. Uh, In 2011, Rahm Emanuel says, hey, I've got this sussed. Here's what we're going to do. It's called managed competition. And in the past, we had just those those dumb old city workers who couldn't get the job done. Now we're going to bring in private enterprise. We're going to outsource this. And this is going to... We're going to let them compete and sort right, it out. Right, exactly. That because it'll bring the, uh, the, the city guys up to speed when they know that somebody else is uh, doing it for profit. Uh, and he said, and I remember at the time, Within a couple of months of instituting this, he said, hey, we've already saved a million dollars. Problem was, you couldn't prove it. Yeah. Says, he says he who? He didn't give yes. you any numbers. He didn't give you any facts on it. He just said, we saved a million dollars. And so we've been doing this managed competition since 2011. And this is where you come in, uh, Madison Hopkins and the Better Government Association. You point out in your story that came out, and by the way, you can find the link to it at MikeNovak.net if you want to read about it. Um, you find out that nobody's really looked at the numbers since 2011. Oh, exactly. And that's another really interesting part about all this. It's like you said, Mayor Rahm Emanuel came to office and he really, you know, that's one of his first moves after becoming mayor. And he really pitched this as the revitalization of recycling in Chicago. And they said it was going to be about six months, this managed competition, and then, you know, assess the results and choose the best paths forward for recycling in Chicago. And we found that, yeah, here we are almost seven years later, and that assessment never happened. Wow. We don't have a winner of the managed competition. And what's more <laughs> is that— I oh, didn't know there was going to be a prize. Yeah, right. <laughs> a and valuable then, prize. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then what's more is that a lot of the information that they were contractually obligated mm-hmm. to keep, they don't have. So they didn't you know, track information that we would have needed to make that assessment, determine the best pass forward for recycling. So they really— are in no state even at this point to make a decision on that. And, and which department would be tracking that? It would be the Department of Streets and Sanitation would be who we Ah, were, now yes. you bring up another point, which is in 2011, also with the new mayor, who is now the outgoing mayor, 
one of his very first official acts was to disband the Department of the Environment, mm-hmm. which had a lot to do with tracking this kind of things. And then he turned it all over to streets and sand. Well, they got their hands full with garbage pickup. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they're particular. And plowing. And, and whatever else. Yeah. yeah, they've got all all those other things. And suddenly we had no transparency. Um, there were numbers put uh, up there. But if you look online, if you go to the City of Chicago website, there are no numbers for 2018 at all. We're in October, folks. We're at the mm-hmm. end of October, and there are no recycling numbers. And I suspect it's because they're abysmal. They, yes, they actually did give me those numbers. Uh, they they, are, they okay. aren't up online, but they did give them to me. And, yeah, we're, we're lower than we've ever been with the with the Blue Card Managed Competition. Around 9%, right? Less than 9%, Less. yes. It's so um, it, that's what's interesting is that during the whole course of this program, you know, since 2011 – the recycling rate has plummeted, and we're collecting less and less tons of recycling every year. So that's that's just you would think it would go the other way, mm-hmm. you know, uh-huh. as we're finally yeah. expanding it citywide, and that you know after that point, yeah, the recycling rate just plummets. And so you've got to ask why the city isn't curious about the success of this program, doesn't want to do an audit. I can or tell you why. <laughs> I can tell you why, but it's only my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and having been a witness to this for the last dozen years, there's no political will. Um, Richie Daly did not care about recycling, and Rahm Emanuel cares even less about recycling than Richie did. And that, and and it shows because there's been no effort. Every time mm-hmm. there's some little initiative that gets rolled out, it's quickly forgotten, and we move on, and the rate continues to plummet. Well. Yeah, and we also we looked at several other cities during the course of this reporting to see how they handle residential mm-hmm. recycling pickup because that's a one of the things that people really hesitate to do a lot because comparing recycling rates is very can be confusing because people include different things in it. But we went to the top ten cities by population in the country and just asked them for their base numbers. You know, how much recycling pickup, how much garbage do you pick up, and what are your policies to get to that point? And again, found Chicago has the lowest out of all out of the top 10 largest cities. We also found that all of these other cities have different standards put in place to encourage or require recycling even. Mm-hmm. You know, California requires recycling and you can even find people if they aren't doing it properly. Um, there's certain cities that have special teams in place to go out and educate people who are consistently putting the wrong things in their bins. And then meanwhile, they all have higher recycling yeah. rates and than we do. San Jose was the highest? Yeah, San Jose was the highest out of the ones we looked at, yes. And they were at, I believe, nearly 80%, which is really remarkable. And I think a lot of people hear that number typically and think, oh, well, you know, they're including all these other things in their recycling rate that can't be comparable to Chicago. We found out, like, no, that is. That's, that's how Chicago calculates their rate as well. And they're still at 80%, while we're at about 8 Although if you go online and you and you and you put in a search engine uh, green cities or recycling Chicago, you will see that our rate uh, online is somewhere in 60, 70 percent. And that often has to do with the fact that they use uh, construction and demolition recycling. So by tonnage, by weight. Uh, and and our seeing and I will I will give credit to the city for this that which happened under daily this got passed and the Department of the Environment the C and D uh, ordinance has been very successful their rate is in the 80s from what I understand yes I will say that you know we focused on the story on residential recycling so mm-hmm. that's what we're talking about here but yes you're right that's why Chicago can kind of pass off as looking like a good recycling city a lot when because you, you do see that. And that is, to their credit, they do have a very good construction recycling program. But 
well, again, when you're just looking at the residential side, mm-hmm. you see this picture that we found, yeah. which is much more bleak. So if you go back to managed competition, mm-hmm. so what exactly does that mean? So, again, it's supposed to be to see, find out which group, you know, whether that be the private competitors, mm-hmm. the private companies. Which is or two different Two ones. different companies, yes. So we should back up a little bit on that. So the city divided the residential areas into six different zones, and they handed two of those zones over to Streets and Sanitation to continue to pick up. One went to a company called Sims, which then subcontracted all their work to Lakeshore. And the remaining three are handled by waste management. And that was what we really, really, what we really focused on in our reporting is mm-hmm. because we looked at something about uh, – we looked at how each of these crews in their different areas were handling what's known as contamination tagging. And so that means that recycling crews can go out and when they're looking at the blue cards, they can decide either they're going to pick it up and process the materials and recycle them. Or if there's something in there that shouldn't be in there, they can tag the bin as contaminated and leave it there for garbage crews to come pick up later without trying to clean out any of the good recyclable materials. And and that's where we get this, this added, <laughs> this bonus of the contamination and, mm-hmm. and marking containers as contaminated because we find out that most of that's being done by waste management. And for those people who have been involved in Chicago recycling and the politics of it for decades, waste management goes back to the days of the blue bag. Mm-hmm. Uh, and suddenly they've got three of the uh, areas, half of the city of Chicago, they're responsible for and, and for people. And uh, they own the landfill. And they own the land. Yes. Well, and there's this is we're talking conflict of interest here. Uh, several months ago, we posted something on our Facebook page about one of the biggest uh, obstacles to recycling in the United States is the fact that the recycling companies also own the landfills. Yes, it's it's really interesting when you look into it further because, like I said, you know, they can tag these bins and leave them and they have sole discretion to do that. So that's under the city contracts that they don't specify exactly how the recycling hauler should declare a bin contaminated. So waste management can do this of their own accord mm-hmm. while knowing that the city, they then accept city garbage in their landfills. So there's a chance that they will get paid twice to service that same blue bin. Yeah, you talk about we need to break here, uh, but when we come back, you mentioned in the story about the possibility that waste management is double dipping Mm. by uh, getting paid for picking up recycling, uh, but also getting paid now when they tag a a bin and it goes to the landfill. I would argue that they're triple dipping because they also get to keep the money for the commodities that Mm. they pick up. So. Wow, that's a great scam if you got it. Okay, Stay tuned. <laughs> yeah, Madison Hopkins from the BGA. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. We'll continue this conversation when we return. Over 8,000 chemicals are used to turn raw material into clothes, many of which are toxic to the environment, local water, and the workers who handle them. In a Green Diva Minute, you'll learn more and be on your way to living a deeper shade of green. Consumer demand for cheap, fast fashion has created clothing that is produced in third-world sweatshops by employees working in unsafe conditions for less than a fair wage. Here are some tips for having a more eco-friendly and conscious wardrobe. Buy organic cotton. Producing just one T-shirt made from traditionally grown cotton takes a whopping one-third pound of toxic pesticides. Reduce, reuse, and recycle. Rock the vintage green divas and dudes. Consignment is cool. Go vegan for accessories. Many designers are creating animal-friendly bags, belts, and shoes. 
I'm Green Diva Meg. Listen to over 500 Green Divas podcasts and learn lots of low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green at thegreendivas.com. Whether it's March, July, September, or December, if you're a gardener, any time of year is perfect for a subscription to Chicagoland Gardening Magazine. It's the garden magazine for our region and one of the best gardening magazines in the country. Every issue features spectacular photos, articles by noted horticultural authorities, nursery owners, state extension agents, master gardeners, and more. There are columns like Ask the Garden Pros, Regional Reports, What to Do in the Garden, and even my column on the inside back page of every issue. I make up stuff and they pay me for it. Go figure. Chicagoland Gardening Magazine, a publication of state-by-state gardening magazines on newsstands everywhere. But go to chicagolandgardening.com and get a subscription. If you're in other parts of the Midwest or the South, try one of the 21 magazines in those regions by going to statebystategardening.com or call 888-265-3600. 888-265-3600. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Balecki. Very pleased to have in studio Madison Hopkins, investigative reporter for the Better Government Association, who wrote a wonderful piece. And I'm telling you, you've got to read it. All right. If you want to know what's going on, this is the latest. There's every decade there's there's a piece that sort of outlines what's going on with recycling in Chicago, because every every decade we have to reexamine why it's not happening. Uh, ten years ago, that would have been Mick Dumkey and the Reader did a seminal piece that you probably have. Very much you, so. That was a yeah, huge help. Yeah. That was a big one because it sort of outlined what had come before. So now, ten years later or so, uh, I think it's more like a dozen years later, you've got your uh, story and everybody needs to see this because uh, you you did a pretty good job. You you FOIA people, you digging in there. You uh, Peggy was mentioning uh, during the break about emails you went back and forth with uh, with um, uh, waste, waste management. management. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell me about uh, that. Uh... Yes, uh, we went back and forth with waste management quite a bit during this process, and you know, really wanted to get to the bottom of why they. Tag carts contaminated so much more frequently than the other competitors in the managed competition. Mm -hmm. As you know, we found that waste management, while they service about half of the blue carts in the city, they account for roughly 90% of the the contaminated carts. They tag carts contaminated at a rate 20 times higher than the other competitors. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to give them as much opportunity as possible to say, hey, explain this to us. Like, why is this the case? Mm -hmm. And their argument or their explanation, I should say, is what they came back with is that, you know, contaminated recycling is a problem nationwide. It's not just in Chicago. And they are simply doing a more aggressive job with... You know, uh, educating sorry. residents. Yes, uh, that was kind of my response too. I mean, I can't, I can't help myself here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's nonsense. It's well, nonsense. Exactly. Because is contaminated carts a problem nationwide? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Lots of people sure. don't understand what to put in their recycling bin. We do need much more education. But our point back was, okay, if this was a problem nation nationally, why are we seeing such huge divisions on? You know, there can be one block that crosses from a waste management zone over to a street and sanitation zone. And somebody on one end of that block might have been seen their cars contaminated, you know, a dozen times where someone on the other side never has. And why are we seeing these huge disparities? You know, unless we're just assuming that Chicagoans who live on 
the northwest side and far south side are, you know, having more problems with recycling for some reason. But I don't see why that would be the case. What I love about the piece, and again, go to my website, MikeNovak.net, and uh, and take a look at the link that that takes you to the article. Um, You have this tool on there where you can... Type in your address. It and was find, an interesting experiment. Yes, uh, and I typed in mine, and there no, I have not been tagged. I swear, if they ever tag my stuff, I will be sitting out there waiting for them when they come by the next time. But my neighbors had, and I was surprised. I got to see how many times my neighbors had been tagged. Yes, and they had been. And I, I checked old addresses I used mm-hmm. to live at, and yeah. And and it said who the hauler was. I'm going hmm. And, and I'm waste management by the oh, way. Are you? Oh yeah, I'm in a waste management zone, so I'm I'm just waiting. And I and I sometimes wonder if they have a little chart on on the on the truck. It says don't tag Novax bin because they know. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. I think they might know who I am. Mm-hmm. And I, it wouldn't surprise me a bit. I will say that's uh that's. You're lucky that you've never had that happen to you. That's good because I've met a lot of people during the course of this reporting that take their recycling incredibly mm-hmm. seriously and still end up getting tagged. Or many people who also complain that maybe they're not getting tagged, but that their recycling just isn't picked up for weeks or months on end sometimes. Well, that was one of the things you write in the article, yeah. that there mm-hmm. seems to be an acknowledgement on certain parts. You know, and I've had aldermen tell me this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we. I'm getting uh, uh, information from my constituents that say they haven't been by for weeks. Exactly. And then if you know a little bit about recycling, you know that when if recycling gets wet, that's considered contaminated. So if you're oh, going nice. to assume that, you know, it's going to rain typically during any month period in Chicago. Sure. So if maybe you, it was good, clean, recyclable set out there, but then if your recycling isn't picked up for mm-hmm. a few weeks or a few months even. Or somebody comes by, throws a can in and leaves the lid open. Yeah. Yes. Or it's just all... throws the remains of their fast food in there. Exactly. You know, that's what I don't understand. And, and, I, and I know this is not the purview of your article. Mm-hmm. Can't we get to the point where if you see a pizza box, you grab the pizza box, throw it in the black cart, and then throw the, you know, then recycle the rest of the stuff? Well, that was the big question, right? And that's that's what really gets down to how the city doesn't specify how the hauler should handle yeah. contamination. Because you talk to the guys over at Lakeshore, and they'll say, yes, if there's, if there's a plastic bag at the top, we'll just remove it because we still want all of those commodities in there. Sure, they make money off of that. Yes, yeah. So it's, it's beneficial to them to, if it's easy to sort out, you do it. But the city doesn't specify that that's what they are supposed to do or need to do, like what cities, uh, other cities that have higher residential recycling rates than we do, do specify those rules. Mm-hmm. They do say if it's easy to sort it out, sort it out, or you know various other protocols. But you bring up a really good point, which is the lack of transparency mm-hmm. all the way down the line. Uh, you know, from in the communication with the, with the companies doing the pickup, in uh, posting stuff for the average consumer to see, uh, for consumers, to, they have that to uh, the methodology. Even. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they they brought in this uh, Recycle by City website several years ago, and I'm sure they kind of went, "Well, we got this sussed, mm-hmm. we got we got this figured out. Now we put up Recycle by City, everybody's going to be happy. Mm-hmm. Now they're going to know exactly what to do." You know, so they purchased a website. That's the best you can do. You know, they say that they are really taking a wide-ranging approach. Is what the city says about mm-hmm. how they're dealing with contamination, especially when we've asked them. Why have you not looked into why waste management accounts for so, so many of these, especially given this conflict of interest where they own the landfill and they know that they can get paid twice for the essentially that they have a financial incentive to label recycling as trash. And the city says they are taking a wide approach to dealing with contamination that's leading with education, that they are sending out flyers to 
households that have frequent uh, contamination problems and that they use they encourage contamination tagging as a means of education. And, you know, that still, I would say, is not up to the standard that we see in many other cities that they're doing for how to educate residents. Mm -hmm. So it should be on every train, on every mm -hmm. bus. It uh, there should be we we volunteer. OK, here at uh, uh, the Mike Novak show with Peggy Malecki, we have cut PSAs and I I. I had to jump through hoops of fire just to get them approved by the city of Chicago. And, and I'm telling them, hey, we're trying to help. We're trying to get the word out. Can you get? And I know that there are, are city officials listening right now. We saw on Facebook there is a city official listening right now. And 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 what I would say to that city official is you need to clean up your act. Not you personally, but the city. Mm -hmm. We're an embarrassment, which takes us to the elections. Every single mayoral candidate should be asked about recycling and come up. If you don't come up with a good answer, you're done. Goodbye. Uh, it's uh, because this has been a problem for too long. It's, this is not rocket surgery. It's hard. It, don't get me wrong. It's hard. We know that. Mm -hmm. you, you investigated in other cities, but 9% were the worst in the country. Yes, exactly. You know, I've seen other places that... There's a, there's a whole variety of programs that you can institute to encourage participation. We've looked at cities that have, um, you know, places that offer points to residents who recycle properly, incentives rather than punishments, right? And mm -hmm. then you can use those points towards uh, participating in local restaurants and shops that have, you know, volunteered to be a part of this. Uh, we've also seen other places that when you label a bin contaminated, they require the resident to clean it out. And, you know, that's education. If you're going to mm -hmm. absolutely learn what's wrong with your recycling yeah. bin when you have to dig through there and clean something Or they're going to at least mark what the contamination is. Yes. And that is, to the city's credit, at least what they said they've recently started doing. They brought out this new type of contamination tag that's supposed to be standardized that all the haulers have to use, that they check on a box what was contaminated but in But are there. they? Well, that's funny you mentioned that because I only saw a few of these during the reporting because it's just started mm -hmm. in the past couple months or so, and I never saw any of them actually checked off. The, the tags were hung, but there was no box saying – there's no check in the box saying this was contaminated because of plastic bags mm -hmm. or anything like that. So the education component was completely yeah. lacking, at least in the one It has basically been the lack of education that, that's led to this. A question mm -hmm. I have that doesn't make sense to me, when a lot of the trucks have one person and it's the driver and it's the automated arm picking it up, who's checking? Who's tagging? Well, that's not exactly how it's supposed to happen in the city of Chicago at the very least. They're supposed so, to have two, aren't they? They're supposed to have two. Well, they're, they're supposed to – at least have somebody get out of the truck and go over and look into the bin. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's a, that's that's been a big point of contention mm -hmm. is is the three cr uh, person crew versus the two person crew because yes. you know the 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 private companies can do it cheaper because they have fewer yeah. people on the job. Oh, exactly, and that was yeah. Again, uh, the the kind of the idea behind this managed competition was that oh, we're going to save all this money by even if we don't pick a winner by continuing this partially privatized state because the private companies can do it cheaper. That's at least the argument that they made. But to your point earlier, they, the city keeps publishing these numbers saying we're saving $10 million a year and this is so effective. <laughs> right. But they don't back that up. I've asked repeatedly to be shown any sort of report that says we did this financial assessment and this is why we know that they're cheaper and this mm -hmm. is how we got these numbers. And they cannot produce anything for me.
well, we only have a couple of minutes. I'm not even going to get into yard waste pickup, which um, is non-existent, and, and they're supposed to pick it up in Chicago. And they tell you, if you you opt in by calling 311, I won't do it anymore because I know it goes to a landfill. I could be wrong. Uh, my feeling is that it goes to a landfill. I'm I'm not going to participate in that. I'm not going to be your sucker anymore. So I'm finding other ways to deal with my yard waste, uh, and it ain't going to be the city. Uh, so we won't even get into that because they can't even recycle a plastic bottle, let alone mm-hmm. yard waste. But before we go, you need to give us a little plug for the BGA. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, we're the Better Government Association. We're a nonprofit. Uh, we, we do many different things, one of which is investigative journalism. We are always looking for to increase our reach and our audience. So mm-hmm. please come to check out our story. Like you all were mentioning, you can go to www.bettergov.org and type in your address and see how often your home has been contaminated and what recycling company picks up your in your area. Yeah, you can find that on the story that uh, she wrote. And again, you go to MikeNovak.net, scroll down to uh, the headline holding Chicago accountable for its failed recycling program. Uh, and uh, the line is, if you read the investigation by Madison Hopkins and just click on the words, the investigation in this story pops up. And in the story is that tool yeah, you can use tool to, right at the top. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, listen, this is um, I know you're going to follow up on this, aren't you? Yes, we're hoping to continue. There's a lot more to look at with this. <laughs> yes, there yes. is. Uh, please keep me uh, informed. Uh, let me know if there's any way I can help besides just screaming into the radio. <laughs> uh, but um, Madison Hopkins, thank you so much for your work. Great job. Wonderful article. And I hope you continue. Will do. Thank you so much. All right. Thank Rick you. De- Rick DeMaio, Weather and Climate coming up. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. This is Peggy Malecki. Do you want to give your veggie seedlings a head start next spring? Then do what I do. Put them under a Happy Leaf LED grow light, and you'll never go back to shop lights again. 50,000-plus hour minimum lifespan, five-year warranty, USA made. Go to happyleafled.com and save 10% on purchases above $100 when you use the code MIKE. Happy Leaf LED grow lights. Your plants will grow bigger, faster, and better. This is Tree Keeper number 417 reminding you that fall is the perfect time to reflect on the beauty of trees and your memory about a favorite tree could win you tickets to Illumination Tree Lights at the Morton Arboretum or you could get a spot in an Open Lands Tree Keeper course. Just tell a story about a tree that has special meaning to you. Submit your tree story online through the end of October to Tremendous Trees, a project of the Morton Arboretum and Open Lands. Go to tree-stories.org. Are you looking for a new ride? Ready to leave gas stations in the dust and speed down the highway 0 to 60 in under 3 seconds? Well, here's your chance. The Illinois Solar Energy Association is raffling off a 2018 Tesla Model X. The award-winning all-electric SUV and only 2,500 tickets will be sold. Come on, we all know fossil fuels are going the way of the dinosaurs, but you don't have to. Switch your ride to an electric car by entering the 2018 Illinois Solar Energy Association raffle. All it takes is one ticket for $100 or increase your chances by getting four tickets for $300 at IllinoisSolar.org. So bury your fossil fuel car, go green with Tesla, and be part of a cleaner tomorrow. All raffle proceeds will fully benefit the Illinois Solar Energy Association, a nonprofit working to advance solar energy development throughout the state of Illinois. Winner will be drawn at the ISEA member meeting on December 6, 2018, and does not need to be present. Anyone in the continental U.S. is eligible, so get your tickets, the rules, and other small print details at IllinoisSolar.org today. 
Catch Playtime with Bill Turk and Carrie Kendall every Sunday from 1 to 3 p.m. right here on 1590 WCGO. You made a fool of me. All together now. Randall gave me a thumbs up on my eardrums. All right. Welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Halloween is a good time of the year because uh, for for one reason, and that's my musical bumps. Because I just I pull out the one the one CD that I have that I got from Heather Fry, and uh, I just go through it and pick out the best. And always uh, Screaming Jay Hawkins gets on there. Um, and uh, one more thing before we get to Rick here, because he's I know he's on the phone. Is uh, uh, Wally Novak uh, wrote here about our conversation about recycling and wally you're absolutely right he writes companies uh should be more responsible for packaging of products you know if we got into that we would go on on for days yes. that's a whole uh, other but, big topic but that's a whole other thing because it's uh, they're always pointing fingers at the consumer and saying well you don't know how to recycle you don't know what you're supposed to put in there you need to educate yourself my feeling is no you need to stop making stuff that we can't recycle why don't you try that? Why Stop don't you mixing s- your plastics? Yeah, Stop putting and, everything and, in and, plastic and clamshells, and then suddenly tell us, "Oh no, you can't put a clamshell in there because uh, you can't recycle it." Well, don't then put film across it. You need to fix that. Um, sorry, Rick. I didn't. <laughs> I think Rick just hurled there. Okay, how you doing, Rick? No, no, no. I'm I'm just coughing up a little He's... of my uh, Danish this morning. But thinking about the fact that the company that uses the most packaging right now is named after rainforest. Amazon. There you go. All right, very good. Hey, I, I, I'd be the first to admit I am not a fan. I do, I do not belong mm-hmm. to, I do not belong to Amazon Prime. I do not order from Amazon ever. Um, I know they're the biggest company in the whole darn world, but I don't care, and it, they don't need right. my business, and I don't want to give them my business. So there you go. And they will never be yeah, an advertiser on their show either. I've seen guys in my uh, in my backyard because uh, we have a number of people who are constantly getting things delivered. And after a while, it's like, my God, how much more packaging do we need to be thrown out in our recycling bin? It's almost like we need another recycling bin because of all the Amazon packaging. Yeah, and you know, and I got to tell you, in my alley, um, I see. Uh, couch after couch each week. It's like from the same building. It's like how many couches? Did the new do... one come on Amazon? I know. Did you order a new one and do you use it just for a week and then you throw out the old couch? And I'm thinking couches and mattresses. Where where does this stuff come from? It's like every every week there's couches and mattresses out there. It's insane. <laughs> At least you're not calling it a Davenport, right? <laughs> no. I, I, I would never do that. No, no, no. Uh, no, no, no well, no. hey, we got a little bit of rain here. We were talking earlier, Rick, about uh, this is not a lot. and uh, No, it came down pretty good, but we definitely need a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we do. We do. We need a, a little bit of rain. So is this uh, a trend or is this just an aberration? No, no, this is the same, um, the same dry pattern that we've been basically in now for about uh, two weeks, ever since our pattern kind of flipped. We went in what's called a split flow, where we have basically southwest or west-southwest winds coming in uh, from parts of, if you want to call it, like uh, northern Mexico, 
desert southwest, and then we have this very fast-moving uh, flow that's trying to establish itself uh, across the northern sections of the United States. So if this would have been like maybe a month from now or maybe two months from now, like the middle of December into the end of December, uh, we would have high temperatures like in the mid-20s, uh, off and on sunshine with huge amounts of lake effect snow. Uh, we already had a lot of lake effect clouds and lake effect rain and some snow showers downwind of all the Great Lakes, but mm-hmm. another month and a half or two months from now, this would have been one of those classic kind of early setups uh, for winter where you have a lot of rain from Texas on over into uh, the state of Florida, which is finally getting wet. They've actually needed some of the rain there. So this is a pattern that has persisted for about two weeks, and it looks like uh, it's going to continue, believe it or not, for another week and a half to two weeks. Um, and in between that, you get these little bursts of, of warm weather. We had that around here uh, last Tuesday where we had a lot of sunshine. Actually, it was Monday and Tuesday. We were in the low to mid-60s, and then it went into the mid-50s and then the lower 50s, and then we kind of got that cool front with a lot of high clouds, and we've been basically in that kind of raw, kind of cold pattern now for a while. But if you're looking to have you know, any sort of substantial rain uh, coming back at us, it looks like at least another 7 to 10 days. I uh, got out there the other day, and I was putting some plants in the ground we mentioned earlier very late. Uh, so I'm just hoping that I don't have to water them myself. I, <laughs> I, want, I want nature to help out just, just a little bit, yeah. uh, but I'm not nah, sure. This, this, nah, that that's not going to happen. But, but you know, it's interesting to note, Mike and Peg, that we have still not yet had uh, a killing freeze here in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've gone through another week where temperatures have kind of gotten down into the mid-30s overnight. Um, that may kind of change as we head into probably the first um, weekend of November, actually beyond that. Uh, but um, that'll that'll probably be a little bit more of a colder pattern. So bottom line, if you're looking to, uh, for any sort of, like, you know, say, reversal of the pattern to a, to a warmer one and a little bit more humidity, that's completely off the book. <laughs> um, any, any help that we've gotten from the Pacific, uh, hurricanes coming on shore in New Mexico or, or down in the Atlantic, that's not going to happen. We're so, definitely in that northwest flow now. So is, um, is and this... interesting to note, next week we'll be into a standard time as well. We flip the clock. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. <laughs> thing like when it's uh, at, well, at, at 4 o'clock but... and it's dark. So is this due to that, that blob, as it were, the warm air up off Alaska and... Warm surface yeah, water. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's definitely a good point to make there, Peg. Is that this warm blob of air, which is basically the northern parts of the Pacific Ocean, uh, and and if people think what Peg said was weird when she calls it a blob, that's actually what meteorologists call it. So it's basically a large area of very warm water that's been kind of held northward uh, by a very active uh, Pacific, or I should say, West Pacific. Uh, typhoon season. We've had several of them move into sections of Japan. The other one just went north of Japan uh, about two weeks ago. Obviously, we had devastating Category 5 uh, Typhoon U2, yes. which went literally right over the island of Sepan. Oh. Uh, massive devastation. Uh, and this is actually expected to hit the just around the northern tip of the Philippines uh, later on tomorrow. So I, I think as long as we keep seeing that warm blob across the northern Pacific, it actually pushes a jet stream up over Alaska and allows it to dip into the western half of North America, which generally 
brings us cooler, drier air. So, yeah, Peg, I think it's definitely related to that. That, that typhoon, oh, my goodness. I saw the photos where the island was completely in the eye of the – that was the most terri- right. one of the most terrifying photos I've ever seen. Yeah, that's what happens when you have a uh, typhoon that's Category 5 and an eye that's 40 miles wide and an island that's only 30 miles long. You'll, you'll have basically the eye of the, of the typhoon literally engulf the island. Uh, fortunately, on those islands, a lot of the buildings, a lot of the structures are built to withstand Category 4, Category 5. They're literally all made out of concrete, very low-rise buildings, but you, know, you, can't, you can't build power lines and telephone lines to withstand that, so they clearly experienced catastrophic damage on that island. And it's interesting to note, in a matter of a week, we had three uh, Cat 5 systems. We had Category 5 Willa, yeah. uh, U2, and what I say, 4.9 Michael, which most likely will be upgraded to a 5. Wow. Okay, quick forecast, including Halloween. Yeah, so uh, rain, I think, is basically over. We have a couple of sprinkles still moving through the next hour. Very windy conditions. 40-mile-per-hour winds today, beautiful tomorrow, sunshine, upper 50s after upper 40s today. Tuesday, a little bit of rain coming through, and then Wednesday looks to be dry and cool. Uh, seasonal for this time of the year and much, much cooler next weekend with temperatures only in the low to mid-40s. All right, Rick, we'll talk to you next week. I want to thank everybody. Good, All right, everybody on the show, until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Uh, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.